0: people hello,
1: hello 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 hey 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 this is laura and this is our welcome to what happens after dark Woohoo! episode six girl we're getting yeah, up there we're, we're climbing rocking and climbing <laughs> this is so good oh my gosh so today we want to talk a little bit about human trafficking
0: yes 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 It's so bad. It's so prevalent. And I'm going to tell you a story about uh, a family that I know personally that um, had just a really bad thing happen uh, probably over the last month or so and out in California. Um, So this girl that's 11 years old um, felt lonely, got on the computer and just got into this chat group. And started making friends with an older man that was a long hauler truck driver, and um, over a course of months, they continued talking, 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 and then it came to light that um, that this person, the man doing this, was human trafficker, and so um, the FBI got involved. Luckily literally just within nick of time saved this girl's life. Um she was already sold and um he was getting ready to pick her up to take her to where the person that had bought her or get her on a plane wherever that was to send her to where she had been bought from. Um she just was lonely and she sought out company there. And so She was getting on the school computer. She was getting on the home computer and just was not monitored. And so the FBI, they went to her school, scared the living daylights out of her and her classmates so that they could, you know, learn that the scariness that's going on out there. And guys, you just don't realize it. So when I learned about this, I texted my kids right away. And I'm like, when you're walking, don't have your headphones in. Because they will grab anybody. anybody, yeah. You, it doesn't matter if you're fat, skinny, tall, short, old, young, young, they want everybody, and so, um, just be more aware, teach your children, teach those around you about this. Speak, and a lot of people think, Oh, it happens in other countries,
1: it happens here,
0: it happens here, it happens here. We're actually set up perfectly here in the Salt Lake Valley for escape of that. Um, and so just be diligent, keep an eye out on your, um, children, your nieces, your nephews, neighborhood children. If you see a car, um, that is not supposed to be in your neighborhood, maybe go up to that car and just question it or don't risk yourself. But you know, it doesn't hurt to just call in the police and say, Hey, this is suspicious. Can you come check it out? You know, don't leave your kids to just be on the computer with no supervision on tablets.
1: Know what they're doing, what sites they're visiting. You got to be on it. They'll hate you for it. But you know what? That's okay. Yeah. When they grow up, they'll realize what you were doing for them and they won't hate you anymore. They'll thank you. So just be very um, vigilant to what your kids are doing, who they hang out with, and and get a little more involved. because. It's, it's a serious thing going on Yeah, people are
0: desperate for money, and so uh-huh. they'll pay. And um, one thing I remember, because I used to be on a, a task force when I was back in California, and one of the things that we learned about was um, watching out when you're at a restaurant and people who do grooming of, um, you, you know, like a man, or it could be even be a woman grooming mm-hmm. a girl or a boy, Just kind of be around, look around your surroundings when you're at a restaurant or in the mall or at a park, because it is it's really scary. And if your kid starts coming home with like their nails done and they say, "Oh, it was just a friend," um, or new earrings or things like this, these are things you need to be looking at and don't just take it as a friend bought me these things, Mm -hmm. Um, because it probably isn't just a friend bought these things. So one of the groups that or are organizations that I worked with when I was in California and I still get their emails and kind of follow them is called operation underground railroad. And they are on the internet. And this man that started this Nate Lewis, he, um, he goes all over the world and rescues women, children, boys, um, not just from sex trafficking, but also from like labor trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a whole task force that goes out with him. And if you go to YouTube, you can watch some of his videos on his website. He has videos and you can see what he does. And he did adopt a couple of the kids that he saved, um, you know, because they didn't have any other family to go to their family. What they couldn't find them. They weren't, you know, they were passed away, whatever. And so he, he took them in. And so I just have so much love and admiration for this group and what they do. And they put their own lives in jeopardy to go out and save others. And it just is just so awesome to me that they would be willing to do that. They travel all over the United States trying to educate people on Mm -hmm. human trafficking and what to watch for. If you get on his website, you can watch videos on what to watch for. Um, I really, really recommend that you do that. The time that we live in now is so different than our parents or oh. our grandparents, or even when we were young moms, Yeah, it's so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always used to keep my kids close and, you know, don't walk away. You stay with me because mm-hmm. it was, you know, starting to become a thing. But now I'll tell you something today. While I was in Costco, there was a man sitting next to me. He had three children two girls and then like a son that was maybe 18 months. So he went up to the counter to get their food. And when he came back and I just happened to look away, but when he came back, he's freaking out because his son was not there and he's grabbing his girls. I almost reported him for child abuse because he grabbed his girls hard. And I was like, And he's like, I left you for two seconds. Where's your brother? Oh, my gosh. And he's starting to cry and scream. And the girls were like, we don't know, Dad. We just looked down for a minute. And so, you know, toddlers, they just kind of wander off. And he's just going crazy. And I'm telling you, I've never seen Costco so packed in my life. And his son had wandered off past the tables and was on his way out the the door. door. So please keep an eye on your kids, guys.
1: That it was takes a opportune. second. Yeah, just look away and he's gone. Yep. They, they they they're so good about how to do this. Yep. They have signals, signs, mm, everything, and it's just sometimes not just one person; it's a whole bunch of them that signal, and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. the second he walks there, I signal you. You grab it. You pass it on to, and it's just
0: gone. Yeah. I gotta say, in California, like people are more when I've observed, they're more. They're more vigilant at watching their children there. Mm -hmm. When I moved to Utah, we're so used to living in this community, this LDS community, Mm -hmm. and everybody watches out for everybody else's kids. But they've gotten to a point now where that doesn't matter. They're gone within seconds. Mm -hmm. And jump on the 15 out here, go up through Parley's Canyon, and on the way to Colorado, and then, you know, they're gone. So please... That's my soapbox for today, guys. We're not going to do a true crime story. We're just going to talk about this. And, and please, please just watch your children, please. And go on the Operation Underground Railroad website. Educate yourself so you can help others. Mm-hmm. Don't think it's not in your backyard because it is in your backyard. Yeah. It's here. And it's not going away. It's only going to get worse unless we all start working together and do better. So mm-hmm. True. Anyways, so yeah, that's my soapbox. And then I was, what was the funny thing I was going to say? Remember, we were just talking. Gosh, oh, think.
1: Lily, when she made that guy scream like a girl!
0: Oh my gosh! Okay, so <laughs> I'm gonna tell you one quick funny story, and then we're gonna jump into our mini murder series because I feel like that whole human trafficking was a little heavy. So the funny thing is, <laughs> is that I took Millie out to go potty, and literally my dog barks at everybody. I feel so bad, but it, she doesn't bark at them because she wants to hurt them because she wants them to pay attention to her, and so it was nighttime around 10 30, 11, something like that. And, um, our sensor at our door sometimes doesn't work. So I opened the door and I left my back against the glass and Millie went over to the rocks while the corner of my eye could see the door behind me opening, which is from the staircase. And this guy comes out and I'm like trying to grab Millie back. And I said, hello. Well, he jumped at my hello, but he still didn't see Millie and Millie got done peeing, saw him and pulled on the leash, started barking at this guy. <laughs> and okay, it was an icy night. And I know he didn't know that she was a girl, but the thing he was screaming was, She a killer! She, she a killer! killer! <laughs> and she's a tiny little pug. And I was laughing so hard. I laughed all the way up the elevator, all the way into my apartment. I texted everybody I knew. I, know, I was just like, oh my gosh. It was so
1: hilarious. <laughs> and he was screaming like a girl, just oh, like yeah. in the movies you know, waving his arms in yes. the air like oh my god this dog's gonna eat me <laughs> and I felt bad he was on the phone to somebody
0: so I, I'm sure that person's like oh my gosh I hope he's okay what's happening and and I don't know if you guys have ever seen the old Disney movie The Ugly Dotson well they hire um, a company to come in to set up like a Chinese New Year party and uh, The Ugly Dotson is about these doxies but they have a brother that is a Great Dane and so <laughs> the guy comes in to set that, set up the party, and the great dane gets loose, and he lays on the ground with his arms stiff by on his side, and he's like,
1: <laughs> "Lion, he's a lion."
0: <laughs> so that's all I could think about when this guy was screaming that <laughs> Millie was a killer, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I'm like, "I'm so sorry." She doesn't bite, and he's like, "Gee, a killer."
1: <laughs> <laughs> she's a mini pug, so she's yeah. tiny. Oh, my
0: God. It was hilarious. And he he got in his car, and I was waiting for, like, you know, step on the brake to go in reverse. It didn't come on for, like, 30 seconds. So I was thinking, oh, my gosh, Millie gave him a heart attack. Why? <laughs> <He's lying. laughs> so whatever. It was hilarious. And I was just telling Nardine I haven't seen his car back since, so I don't know what happened.
1: I don't Probably know. He won't come back. No, there's a killer there. <laughs> I know.
0: The beast. Oh, the my
1: gosh. <laughs>
0: Anyways, oh my word. (coughs) Exciting times here where I live. If it's not the creepy ghost that gets in our way, it's Nellie and her antics. Oh, (sighs) so
1: funny. That was a good one.
0: (laughs) So today I'm doing a a mini murder series. I've pulled people that are from like I picture the wild, wild west times kind of is what I I look at this. I do want to give a disclaimer. I'm going to be giving this now at the beginning of every one of my episodes. Um, So what happens after dark does not condone violence or murder. We are here to just present the facts of some really screwed up individuals. So that's where we are. I just, I need to put that out there because Spotify, Spotify and everybody, you know, they want to make sure that you're following community rules. Um, So the first guy we're going to talk about is Theodore Durant. He was born William Henry Theodore Durant, um, and they didn't have an exact date of birth um, for him, just 1871 um, through January 7th, 1898. So he was known as the Demon of the Belfry. Um, He was hanged for two murders committed at San Francisco's Emmanuel Baptist Church, where he was an assistant superintendent of the Sunday School. Um, he maintained his innocence of the crimes. Um, his sister was actually quite famous. So they are from Canada area. And his sister um, was Maude Allen. Um, she was a well-known Canadian actress and dancer. Um, so he, that was his only sibling. So a little bit about early life for him. Um, William Henry Theodore Durant was born in Toronto, Ontario, to William Durant, a shoemaker, and his wife, Isabella Hutchinson Durant. The family immigrated to San Francisco, California in 1879. And like we said, he had one younger sister. Her name was Maud Allen. Um, at the time of his arrest, Durant was a 23-year-old medical student at Cooper Medical College in San Francisco and an assistant superintendent of the Sunday School at the 21st Street Emanuel Baptist Church and a member of the California Signal Corps. course. Um, so basically, I mean, number one, he's super young, 23. Oh. When I was 23, I was not thinking about murdering people. Number one, nor have I ever in my life thought of that, but such a young age. And yeah, you he
1: was, yeah, <laughs> I, I know. Want to have fun, yeah. Party.
0: Not out murdering people. And so, mm. and he was obviously kind of well-known, you know, he was in the Sunday school. He was in this, um, signal core, um, So it's believed that young Durant suffered from manic depression. There were unsubstained rumors of a dark side to Durant's personality. Mm -hmm. One claimed that he occasionally visited brothels in San Francisco's Commercial Street, where allegedly he once brought with him in a a sack or a small crate a pigeon or a chicken. So I'm guessing he's paying these ladies with chickens. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and at a certain time during the evenings, um, d- uh, debauch, he cut the bird's throat and let the blood trickle over his body.
1: Oh, oh my gosh. Yuck. Uh, oh, oh, that's th- going to make my bowels move. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's disgusting. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, okay. Sickle, sickle. Oh, sick, sick. Okay, so disappearances. So on April 3rd, 1895, Theodore Durant met 20... 20- year old teacher Blanche Lamont um, who had recently come to San Francisco to study at the nor- uh, normal school at the Polk Street electric trolley stop just after 2 p.m. They rode together to the 21st street stop. So they got on the trolley together. Um, other people on the trolley stated that they were very close and that Durant was whispering into Lamont's ear and tapping at her lightly with her, uh, and she was kind of tapping at him with her uh, leather gloves. So banter back and forth. Hey, Shmexy, you want to come home with me type yeah, of deal. Um, they got off at their stop and were seen by a Mrs. Mary Noble walking down 21st Street to the Emmanuel Baptist Church. A Mrs. Caroline Leak saw them enter the church together Mrs. Leake, who later testified at Durant's trial, was the last person known to see Blanche Lamont live.
1: Alive. Awesome.
0: So George King, the church choir director and organist who was practicing hymns on the organ, testified that Durant came downstairs at 5 p.m. looking pale and shaken and asked him to go um, get a medicine at a nearby store. So he's like, hey, dude, you look you look kind of, oh, I just moved my mouse too much. So basically, you look too sick, and you need to go take care of yourself because, yeah. And so let's see. So then let's talk a little bit about um, Blanche Lamont. So she was, they didn't have a, a like a, a date of birth for her that was accurate. They just said about 1875, um, but she did pass on April 3rd, 1895. So she was a twenty-year-old who had been teaching um, at a, a one-room school in Hecla, Montana. She had moved to San Francisco to further her education. Um, she was living with her aunt, Mrs. Trifenia Noble, on twenty-one for, or twenty-first Street in the Mission District. And then on April third, ni- eighteen ninety-five, so on the same day she met him, he murdered her. It's not even like they had time to really have a relationship. Or
1: to really get to know each other. No.
0: So Durant Mm -hmm. met Lamont at the Polk Street Electric Trolley, like we said, just after two. And they rode together and got off at the next stop. Um, And people just thought that they had been together for a while because they were flirty and, you know, just kind of hanging out. And so.
1: First date murder.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh. You know, I have not really dated out since my ex and a lot of it has to do too with like, I read these stories of the horrible yeah. things that happened to women in these day Thank and age. It's like not even worth it, mm-hmm. dude. Anyways. So, uh, Mrs. Noble came to the church looking for Lamont a few hours later during the evening prayer service. Durant approached Noble and inquired about Blanche who told him that she was worried about her. Durant told Noble that he was sorry that Blanche was not there, but that he would come to her house later to bring a book for her. So Mrs. Noble said that he did he that he did come by later with the book and suggested that Lamont might have been kidnapped or forced um, into pro, uh, prostitution. Kind of random. Just barely uh, meets her that day, and
1: and he already knows where she could possibly be. Yeah. Mm.
0: So the next day, Durant tried to pawn some women's rings in the San Francisco Tenderloin District. Tenderloin District. The meat market, maybe? Maybe. Back then. Maybe it was just called the... Uh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So that same afternoon, Noble received a package with the name George King, who was a church choir director, written on the wrapper with Blanche's rings inside. It was three days later after Blanche's disappearance before Mrs. Noble had reported her missing to the police. Police questioned Durant because he was the last person she was seen with and also because a young woman of the church said that she had once came upon Durant nude in the church library. Awesome. Police did not have a body or any evidence that anything had happened to Blanche, so she remained listed as a missing person. I'm just telling you guys, just be careful who you're dating out there. <laughs> yeah. So the investigation starts. So the next day, Durant had tried to pawn some women's rings in the San Francisco Tenderloin, like we said. That same afternoon, Noble received the package with the um, the Blanche's rings. Um, and it was three days after Blanche's disappearance before Noble had reported her missing to the police. I feel like that's a long time. I feel like they should have, I don't know, if it was one of my... Ken, I probably would have reported them sooner. Ah, yay. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, so, they questioned Durant. Um, I just, and then, you know, it came out about his nudeness within the in the church. Um, and so, they couldn't pin anything on him. He just kind of became, you know, in the background. And she was just a missing person, unfortunately. <laughs> so, the next person is Minnie Williams, Okay, so during this time, Durant began focusing his attentions on 21-year-old Minnie Flora Williams, again, not a direct date of birth, just approximately 1873, Mm -hmm. died April 12th, 1895. So what is that? 12, 11, 10. Nine days later, after he met and killed Blanche. Um, And she was also an Emanuel Church member.
1: So... That's probably how he targeted them at the church.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. telling you guys, you never know who you're sitting on a pew with. That's all (laughs) I got to say. You just never know. (laughs) Billy (laughs) Pew. Yeah. And then on April 12th, 1895, um, so nine days after Lamont disappeared, which was Good Friday at 7 p.m., Williams told her friends at her boarding house that she was going to a church Member meeting at the home of a church elder named Vogel, whose wife Mary had been uh, seen Durant walking with Blanche Lamont the day she disappeared. So a few minutes after seven, Williams was seen um, in a heated discussion with Durant in front of the church. It was loud enough to alert a passerby named Hodgkins to stop and intervene. Hodgkins later testified that his manner was not becoming to a gentleman and that the pair did calm down and enter the church door together. At 9 p.m. that evening, Durant arrived at the church elder's house for the scheduled meeting, probably without Minnie is what I'm thinking. So So then on Saturday, April 13th, so the next day, Mm -hmm. um, the women of the church were decorating the church for Easter Sunday, one of the ladies went into a cabinet to get cups, and when she opened the door, she found a mutilated female body inside.
1: So he killed him at the church.
0: Yeah, he killed him at the church.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Like I said, you don't know who you're sitting next to at the pew.
1: And they didn't smell because it's been a week since the first one.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just. Oh, God. I don't know. It's just so bad. So the police were called, and the body was identified as Minnie Williams. So that's the second lady
1: he murdered. okay, not the first one. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: But then the church and grounds were searched for any clues and for Blanche Lamont, whom police now suspected to be there. Um, Nothing was found until a church member remembered that they had not searched the belfry. Police went up to the belfry and found Blanche Lamont. She was badly mutilated and nude with her head wedged between two boards police immediately began a search for Theodore Durant, who was the last one seen with both of the murdered women. So with this and all these freaking weirdos that I've been researching, I just think there's so much rage. Like to cram somebody's head into uh, hordes like work. this That's... and to mutilate them. I mean, I just... it's rage. That is all rage. And again, guys, just watch your... Your people, Your yourself, babies. while you're out there. Um, I know this is from a long time ago, but it happens. So the trial. So Durant had left town to join his Signal Corps unit where he was apprehended the next day, Easter Sunday. Here you go, Easter Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> he was charged with the murders of Blanche Lamont and Minnie Williams. The trial was covered by major newspapers all across the U.S. His attorney defended him by citing lack of blood on him or his clothes and shifting blame to the church pastor. But Durant was convicted and sentenced to be hanged. Durant never confessed to the murders, and he stated he was innocent to his death. The execution was carried out in January 7, 1898, at the San Quentin Prison.
1: Wow. San
0: Quentin is heavy duty.
1: Oh, yeah. Till this day. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So our next person we're going to cover, his name is Jesse uh, Pom- Pomeroy. Pomeradian. <laughs> <laughs> a little Pomeranian dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was born in 1860. He was considered a natural-born friend. Not a natural-born killer, but a natural-born friend. His crimes made this identification not unreasonable. About a vicious let's see about as vicious a teenager never ever recorded, young Jesse Pomeroy grew up in one of the mo- worst slums of South Boston in the late 1800s. <sighs> By the time he turned 14 years of age, he was convicted of numerous murders.
1: 14 Good. years 14
0: 14 years old. When, and he
1: was doing it earlier.
0: Oh yeah, he he was okay. So it wasn't friend. He was cons- considered a natural born fiend. Sorry, I thought I misspelled friend. It's fiend. F I E N D. Oh, okay. so fiend. So he was just a, a, an insane, per- yeah, killer. Okay. Um, let's see. And so he was, and was one of the worst multiple killers in the country's history at that time. Sentenced to spend the rest of his life in prison from 14 years old up. What? (sighs) Yeah, he's definitely a fiend. Um, He was brought up by his widowed mother. She was a dressmaker. Pomeroy was not an easy child to miss in the area. He had a hair lip, and one of his eyes was completely white.
1: Ew.
0: Yeah. Um, And according to one source, he also suffered from light mental retardation. Um, and that's in the words that I pulled from Murder- Murderpedia and Wikipedia. I don't like the word retard or retardation, but that is what was in these sources.
1: Oh, that's how they describe mm. them.
0: Yeah. Okay. Not much is known of his early childhood, but by the time he reached 11 years of age, he began torturing other young children. I was playing with Barbies.
1: At that Me age. too.
0: <laughs> I mean, come on now.
1: Uh, <laughs> Maybe he was torturing little animals before.
0: Oh, probably, because one of the signs of, like, a sociopath is someone who tortures animals. Animals, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Let's see. So, in the two years of 1871 and 1872, Pomeroy trapped and attacked seven boys, all younger than himself. Um, In each case, he took each one to a secluded space where he stripped the victim and tied them up. The first victims were severely beaten, punched, and kicked until covered with bruises. However, Pomeroy then began utilizing his knife in the attack, slashing and poking with the blade, drawing blood as his victim was tied down. Still not at the age of 14. He's still younger than 14 doing this. Like, I know that we talk a lot about, like, serial killers, how they're, like, made, you know, or maybe the brain wasn't fully developed or whatever, but this guy is so young, I just, I don't... There must have been something
1: going on. Yeah, there's no history about.
0: Mm-mm, there's not much about any of these guys because it's from so long ago. But yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine being that young and doing these things. Or he
1: had to have been tortured or something. Yeah, when he was little.
0: Yeah, He, he should have been on that, that show. Snap. Oh god. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yuck. Okay. So because of his appearance, it wasn't long before the police got an idea about who the culprit was, and they proceeded to arrest the 12-year-old, so at 12 years old, where he was sentenced to the Westboro Reform School, where he, ha- he was to be held until the age of 21. So instead of the nine-year sentence, however, Pomeroy was let go after just two years while serving his term, he stayed on his best behavior, which they all do in they prison. They all do, of mm-hmm, course. And led the ward officials into thinking that he was indeed reformed. He understood very well what he had to do to get out of there as soon as possible. And he made sure that he stuck to the plan. He was going to get out of there. Discipline, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. So this is a great example of how the idea of revolving door imprisonment has been around a lot longer than people believe, because this is so long ago. And this is kind of, there's instances I know I've read about even today where they put them in and then it is, it's like a revolving door. They keep coming back mm-hmm. keep
1: coming back. Oh, That's sad.
0: It is sad. It's so sad. Um, so when Jesse was released, he was far from well. As a matter of fact... Pomeroy was now ready to take his crimes to a new level. He was ready for homicide. So I'm wondering who he talked to maybe in that reform school that maybe gave him tips and tricks. I don't know.
1: Or for not being able to do it, they come out worse because they haven't been able to do it. Release the relay. just Snap. Yeah, they snap and go crazy.
0: Mm hmm. In March of 1874, 10-year-old Mary Curran disappeared. Her body found mutilated and savagely beaten. A month later, four-year-old, four years old, Horace Mullen was taken by Pomeroy to marshland outside of town where the child was slashed repeatedly. Police found the body with the head almost decapitated the next day. This kid that's doing this is 14 years old, doing this to children that... Are below kindergarten age and have no way to fight back. They have no way to fight back.
1: Oh my God.
0: Yeah, I just, I can't imagine. 14 years old, I mean, I was roller skating. I was just. So
1: was I starting to make friends with boys.
0: Yeah, and here, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's so sad. And to be the parents of these kids, I can't even imagine. imagine. So police began investigating the murder and quickly saw Pomeroy as a potential suspect. When they approached the young boy, he, um, they found him carrying a blood-stained knife. They also noted that his shoes were covered in mud and that his footprints matched those of the murder scene. When they asked him if he killed the boy, Jesse replied, almost matter-of-factly, I suppose I did. <gasps> like, what the hell? What are you going to do about it? Kind of attitude.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. How insane.
0: Mm -hmm. So when Pomeroy's mother moved out of her house soon after, so she moved laborers working on the flooring, um, they found the decomposing remains of Mary Curran. Um, Buried in the basement's um, earthen floor, Pomeroy easily confessed to that murder as well. So as if it wasn't enough for the police, Pomeroy then confessed to the murder of 27 other victims.
1: A serial killer at 14. Twenty-seven.
0: Yeah. That's more than some of the grown serial killers were going to be covering. Yes. hmm And back in the 1800s, where the means that the serial killers that we're going to cover later had this day and age, I mean, it just is mind-boggling to me that that— he, The knife that he must have been using, I, it couldn't have been that sharp. So to almost decapitate someone's head— That would take a lot of slashing, Mm -hmm. Uh, yes. A lot of rage,
1: and the mom never.
0: She never suspected anything. Yeah,
1: but you think with that attitude, that would raise a flag.
0: Holy cow! So, um, so Pomeroy easy. uh, So he did confess to that one, and so then as the officers began to dig around the home where he grew up, they did discover the remains of 12 other bodies. Um, So, found guilty of murder, Pomeroy was sentenced to spend the rest of his days in prison, where he languished in solitary confinement until he died in 1932 at the ripe old age of 72. He spent from 14 years old to 72 72. in prison.
1: Solitary confinement.
0: I don't know how someone survives something like that like being in solitary confinement for that long. Um, So an interesting sidebar to all of this is that during Pomeroy's trial in 1872, uh, Morales tried using the young multiple murder as an example of declining moral standards that they felt were prevalent at the time. They particularly blamed the popular dime novels of the day with their garish stories of blood and immoral lifestyle much in the same way that evangelists and preachers try to use music and the media as an excuse for youth rebellion today. Um, Let's see. So however, for the evangelists in the Boston area, their ideas of Pomeroy's vicious crimes were quickly thrown out the window when Pomeroy stated that he never read any of the dime novels. And I mean that I, they try to pin stuff like that all the time on media and on video games and stuff, but I really feel like if you're going to be a person like this, it, it doesn't take any, you know, books or anything Anything like that. It's you're just, you're sick. You're just. You're crazy sick.
1: Circumstances or. Like
0: with Ed Gein. Yeah. He did get into like those pop falchion. Yeah. And he was reading about it. But again, I feel like, number one, his mother groomed him. And number two, he had something wrong. So
1: what happened with this kid? It doesn't say.
0: No. He just, I feel like he just was a born sickle. Sickle. (sighs) Okay. Our next one, they're called the Harp Brothers. Um, Micaiah Big Harp, uh, born about 1748, died August 1799. And then Willie, uh, Wiley Little Harp. 1750 to about February 8th, 1804 um so they they are both murderers um highwaymen and river pirates who operated in Tennessee Kentucky Illinois and Mississippi in the 18th century hmm. their crimes appear to have been motivated by more more by bloodlust than financial gain and many historians have called them the America's first true serial killers really mm-hmm The Harps are said to have been brothers, although some sources say cousins. Um, Born in Orange County, County, North Carolina to Scottish parents, their father or their uncles were allegedly um, of Tory allegiance who fought on the British side during the Revolutionary War. Interesting. Um, Big Harp is known to have had two wives, sisters Susan and Betsy Roberts, married...
1: Sisters. Sisters,
0: both of them. That
1: makes me want to puke.
0: Yeah, <gasps> little and they were okay with it back then. Can I mean times were so different, but yeah. No. Let's see. Little Harp married Sally Rice, daughter of a Baptist minister. Um. Let's see. So disputed claims of early lives and involvement in Revolutionary War and Indian Wars. Um. It says, in John Musgrave's article of October 23rd, 1998, in the Southern Illinois newspaper, American Weekend, um, through and through research, he cited, I, Marshall Smith, 1855 book, Legends of the War of Independence and of the Earlier Settlements in the West, that the Harps were much older than most mainstream historians have acknowledged. Smith stated that he had heard stories from his grandfather, um, older pioneers, and those who had interviewed two of the Harp's wives. Um, One of the stories was that the Harp brothers were actually cousins, William and Joshua Harper, um, who would sometime later take the aliases Harp, who had immigrated in 1759 or 1760 at a young age from Scotland. Their fathers were brothers, John and William Harper, who settled in Orange County, North Carolina, between 1761 and 1763. Um, The Harper patriarchs were loyal to the British crown and were known as royalists, kingsmen, loyalists, and Tories, and may have also been regulators involved in the North Carolina Regulator War. The anti-British crown neighbors of the Harps were or Harpers, were known as Whigs, Rebels, and Patriots. Around April or May of 1775, the young Harper cousins left North Carolina and went to Virginia to find overseer jobs on a slave plans, plantation. Now I really hate them. Oh, I really, really hate them now. Okay. At the outbreak of the American Revolution, little is known of the Harps' whereabouts. According to Smith, based on the eyewitnesses of uh, account of Captain James Wood, they joined a Tory rape gang Awesome, (gasps) in North Carolina and took part in the kidnapping of three teenage girls with a fourth girl being rescued by Captain Wood. These gangs took advantage of the war because it was wartime and so they would rape, steal, and murder and burn and destroy the property, especially farms of Patriot colonists. So just because there's a war going on doesn't give you the right to be raping and murdering. and a of
1: work. Take advantage.
0: Yeah. P.O.S.'s, man. Um, In an interview Smith had with the Patriot soldier Frank Wood, who was the son of Captain James Wood, he revealed that he was the older brother of Susan Wood Harp, the later kidnapped wife of Micaiah Big Harp. Frank Wood claimed to have seen the Harp brothers serving loosely as Tory militia, under the command of Lieutenant Colonel bonastare Tarleton's British Legion at the Battles of Blackstocks, November 20th, 1780, and Cowpens, January 17th, 1781. Um, they also appeared in the same supporting role at the Battle of Kings Mountain on October 7th, 1780, under the B- British commander, Major Patrick Ferguson. These battles... Um, that the Harps supposedly participated in, mm-hmm. resulted in major patriotic victories. Um, following the British defeat at Yorktown in 8- 1781, the Harps left North Carolina, disappeared with their Indian allies, the Chickamauga Cherokees, to Tennessee villages west of the Appalachian Mountains. On April 2nd, 1781, they joined war parties of 400 Chickamauga um Chickamauga, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, Cherokee, and attacked the Patriot frontier settlement of Bluff Station at Fort Nashborough, which is now Nashville, Tennessee, which would again assaulted by them, um, which would again be assaulted by them on either July 20th, 1788, or April 9th, 9, 1793. A captain James Lapierre was killed in the 1781 attack on the fort. It may have been related to the John LaPierre who was later involved in the killing of McKay. Oh, he, this guy, um, killing of Mikaja Ma- Big Harp in Kentucky in 1799. So um, on August 19th, 1782, um, the Harps accompanied a British backed, Chickamauga Cherokee War Party to Kentucky in the Battle of the Blue Licks, where they helped to defeat an army of patriotic, Patriot um, Frontiersmen. During the Hart brothers' early frontier period, um, among the Chickamauga Cherokee, they lived in the village of Nickajack near Chattanooga, Ch- Tennessee, for approximately 12 to 13 years. During this span of time, they kidnapped Maria Davidson and later Susan Wood and made them their women. It doesn't even say their wives made them their woman. They are their woman.
1: But weren't they already married?
0: <laughs> I thought so, but it's so ass backward. Oh. So then, in 1794, the Harps and their women abandoned their Indian habitation before the main Chickamauga Cherokee village of Nickajack in eastern Tennessee um, was destroyed by destroyed in a raid by American settlers. They would later relocate to Powell's Valley around Knoxville, Tennessee, where they stole food and supplies from local pioneers. The whereabouts of the Harps um, were unknown between summer of 1795 and spring of 1797, but by the spring, they were dwelling in a cabin on Beaver's Creek near Knoxville. I would not want to live on Beaver's Creek. (laughs) On June 1st, 1797, Wiley Harp married Sarah Rice, which he... Uh, which was recorded in the Knox County, Tennessee, marriage records. Um, Sometime during 1797, the Harps would begin their trail of death in Tennessee, Kentucky, and Illinois. So their atrocities are, as young men, the Harps lived with Renegade Creek and Cherokee Indians and committed atrocities against white settlers and their own tribes. By 1797, the Harps were living near Knoxville, Tennessee. However, they were driven from the trap Town after being charged with stealing hogs and horses, okay. and back then I think if you stole livestock, you could be killed for that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was the, no
1: court, nothing. You got hung, and that was it.
0: Yep, you were hanging by the hangman's tree. Um, they were also accused of murdering a man named Johnson, whose body was found in a river, ripped open, and weighted down with stones. So they cut <gasps> him open and put the and
1: put the stones in. Uh huh. Oh.
0: And so this became a characteristic of the Harp's murders. They butchered anyone at the slightest provocation, even babies. hmm So I just am
1: There's like.
0: There's a on the chest. Oh, yeah. my God. So R.E. Banta in the, Ohio, in the Ohio claims that Micaiah Harp even bashed his infant daughter's head against a tree because her constant crying annoyed him. So he killed his own. Um, this was the only crime for which he would re, uh, would later confess genuine remorse from Knoxville. They fled North into Kentucky. They entered the state at the wilderness road near the Cumberland gap. They are believed to have murdered a peddler named Peyton taking his horse and some of his goods. They then murdered two travelers from Maryland, from Maryland. So their deaths in 17 uh, July, 1799, John LaPierre raised a posse to avenge the murder of Mrs. Stiegel, um, including Moses Steagle the victim's husband. LaPierre reached harp first and managed to shoot big harp. After a scuffle with a tomahawk, LaPierre overcame harp. When Steagle arrived, he decapitated harp and stuck his head on a pole. Yes, they did not like these dudes. At a crossroads still, <laughs> at a crossroads still known as Harps Head or Harps Head Road in Webster County, Kentucky. Um, by the end of the Reign of Terror, the Bloody Harps were reasonable uh, responsible for the known murders of no less than forty men, women, and children. Little Harp eluded the authorities for some time, using the alias John Seton um, until allegedly being caught in the effort to get a reward of his own on the head of an outlaw, Samuel Mason. He was captured in 1803, tried and hanged by April or February 8th, 1804. So the Harp Women. Um, according oh. to John Musgrave, the Harp Women, after um, cohabitation with the brothers, led relatively respectful and normal lives. Upon the death of Micaiah Big Harp in Kentucky, Wiley Little Harp went into hiding and their women were apprehended and take, taken to Russellville, Kentucky state courthouse and later released. Um, Sally Rice Harp went back to Knott'sville, Tennessee to live in her father's house um, for a time. Susan Wood Harp and Maria Davidson, a.k.a. Betsy Roberts Harp, lived in Russellville. Susan Wood re, uh, remarried later and died in Tennessee, according to Ralph Harrelson a Mick Illinois, historian. Records show that on September 27th, 1803, Betsy Roberts remarried, moved with her husband to Canada in 1828, mm. and, and they had many children. Um, so they were able to, you know, Ooh, kind of break away from that insane oh. life. Um, and so they do have some descendants. Uh, let's see. Not too much on that, but there is appearances in literature, stage, television, and film about these dudes. Um, the Harp Saga was explored in depth by noted historian Paul I. Wellman in his book of Spawn of Evil, now no longer in print. But what a very applicable name for yeah. a book about these two yeah, idiots. Absolutely. Um, e. Don Harp, perhaps the only Harp descendant to openly acknowledge and write about the Harp brothers, currently has two books born um, wolf die and wolf die wolf the last rampage of the terrible harps and resurrection rebirth of the terrible harps with a third book being written his short um his short work the true story of america's first serial killers may be close to the truth about the story of the harp brothers um There was a graphic novel that was written in 2009 by Chad Kinkle and illustrated by Adam um, show called Harp, Harp America's First Serial Killers. Um, The Harp brothers identified as Big Harp and Little Harp are among the characters in the stage musical. I'm telling you, what the the hell? hell? (laughs) Ed Gein had a German play that was made after him. And these idiots, there's a stage musical. So how do you make a musical about serial killers?
1: I don't know. That's insane. Let's go get them. La 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 la. I don't know. Yes, I got mine.
0: <laughs> no, it's crazy. Um, so it was named the Robber Bridge Groom, Bridegroom, adapted by Alfred Uri and Robert uh, Waldman from the novel by Edura Edura Welty. Um, so in the musical, Big Harp has already been decapitated at the beginning of the story, but his disembodied head is still alive. Oh, that's just awesome. <laughs>
1: Still telling his brother, hey, you missed the (laughs) spot. I know. Oh, my gosh. Awesome. In
0: the 1941 film version of The Devil and Daniel Webster, both harps are among the jury. The Devil calls, but do not appear to the original story. Um, Oh, my gosh. Big and Little Harp appeared in Disneyland's Davy Crockett Menace. Yeah. What? Yes. Yeah, look. Big and Little Harp appeared in Disneyland's Davy Crockett miniseries. Mini- Both Harps and their descendants play a key role in the Silver John book, The Voice of the Mountain, by M- Manly Wild Wellman, through their real-life accounts, were fictionalized and morphed into the s- supernatural abilities. Um, yeah, so.
1: <sighs> Disney. Wow. Made a movie for
0: kids. Yeah. About it. Of course, <laughs> I don't really like, I love old Disney movies, but I have issues with Disney. Um, so the last murders we're going to cover today, um, it's a family of cel- serial killers.
1: A whole family.
0: Like the Von Trops <laughs> from <laughs> The Sound of Music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so the Kelly family serial killers. Um, The Kelly family was a family of serial killers who operated near Kansas town called Oak City between August and December of 1887. The family consisted of William Kelly, 55, his wife, Kate, his son, Bill, also called Billy, 20, and daughter, Kit, 18. Originally from Pennsylvania, the family is believed to have murdered nearly 11 wealthy travelers akin to the bloody benders a decade later later. So it's kind of, sometimes I read later that it kind of gets a little confused sometimes. Um, but yeah, so this whole family was just in on it. Um, so yeah. Uh, vigilantes hunted down and killed the fleeing family in order to make it an example of them. William confessed to all the family's crimes before being hanged from a tree. Um, So they did move to Kansas at one time. According to 55-year-old William Kelly's confession, he and his family moved from the Pennsylvania mountains to Kansas in 1869. They moved around to different places along the southern border until eventually settling in no man's land around 25 miles away from Beaver, Oklahoma. There
1: goes Beaver. I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Initially dealing with cattle, the Kellys soon opened a tavern where they housed fellow cattlers and travelers. Although illiterate, they were, um, they were regarded in an ordinary working family with nobody um, harboring any sup- suspicion towards them. Um, so the discovery of crimes. In the span of a few months, a number of people had disappeared mysteriously along the road leading to the Kelly tavern. Despite this, nobody suspected the family of doing anything until around December 1887, when the occupant suddenly left the house without notifying anybody. A short while after, a traveler from St. Louis named S.T. Gregg, who had visited the tavern before, decided to stop by and check out the house. Upon entry, a foul stench overtook him. They had that
1: thirst for all of them, including the kids. Well, I'm sure the parents taught the kids.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I mean, and we talked about Jesse Pomeroy, who was mm. only 14. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, so yeah, nasty, nasty smell. So, coming from a hidden cellar underneath the house, the bodies of three men already in an advanced state of decomposition were discovered, as well as a trap door under the tavern's floor. Greg immediately notified authorities of the matter Shortly after, search parties came into the house, one of them led by a cowboy named Texie. You go, (laughs) Texie. Yeehaw! (laughs) And then while digging around the barn in search of any other corpses, the men's attention was drawn to some loosened dirt to the left of the barn door. When dug up, a body with a broken skull was discovered, evidently murdered with an axe. That reminds me, one of the stories I want to do, and I'm so excited to do this for you, Guys, it's the first one I listened to um, on Morbid Podcast, which I love you guys, um, was the Velasco Axe Murders, and I'm really excited to do that one.
1: Yeah, that one.
0: I mean, nobody should say they're excited to cover those stories, but I'm really excited (laughs) to cover it. Um, Let's see. Further digging revealed seven other bodies, two of them women. Although the majority of the victims were decomposed beyond recognition, three were identified from their clothing. Jim Coven, a cattleman whose business covered that area in Texas, J.T. Taylor, a missing wealthy drummer, salesman from Chicago, and a Texas merchant named Johnson. An old rusty axe with human flesh on its blade, presumed to be the murder weapon, was also located. Um, So the search, capture, and execution. So soon after the, the discoveries, information from Beaver came that all four of the Kelly family had passed through a town a few days ago en route to New Mexico. It was noted that they were driving a span of several horses and appeared to have a lot of money on them. A posse of 20 men was quickly organized and the family's trail led to Palo Duro Creek, from where it appeared that their route had changed towards Wheeler, Texas. After a while, the posse caught up with them and engaged in a two-hour-long chase. How fast can you go on freaking horses? Collins, well, why no horses can run yeah. fast, but 2, two hours. hours. Eventually Kate Kelly's horse tripped and Kate fell to the ground, breaking her neck in the process. So she was left behind. An hour and a half later the vigilantes caught up with Bill and Kit, but William managed to escape. So she didn't even get to be tried for her crimes. She died because she yeah. fell off her horse. That's
1: <laughs> okay. That's all right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Upon capture, Kit began pleading for mercy, only to, only to be told off by her brother for being a complicit or for being as complicit in the murders as he was. Two ropes were um, procured and the duo were prepared to be hanged on a nearby tree. So they're, I kind of like this style because why so do we drag out so much? Exactly. Yeah. So moments, moments before they were hanged, Kit whispered to Bill if she could tell them everything, only for her brother to curse at the posse and encourage them to find out for themselves. Subsequently, both were left hanging on the tree. The vigilantes had chased after William, whose horse left behind a recognizable trail because it was shod only in the front. They eventually caught up with him, and after firing two shots at the fugitive, he gave up, stopped, and dismounted from his horse. The group quickly surrounded him and the leader allowed the criminal con- uh, the criminal to confess of all his sins. Yeah. William proceeded to explain their family history but claimed to have moved towards Texas because of their crimes in the area, denying taking part in the killings. The posse being dissatisfied, he was quickly hanged for a bit before being lowered down and asked to confess. Finally he did, telling that all of the family members had taken part. Where the money was stored and what they, um, they had killed nine men and two women. Um, the elder Kelly was then stripped of all his belongings, including a gold watch belonging to JT Taylor and was left to hang. Um, so something called modus operandi, which I think is the trapdoor. So when a traveler would come by the Kelly's Chavern, they would first assert, um, so, first, the Kellys would say, okay, if they were wealthy or not. If confirmed, either William or Bill or sometimes Kit would engage the client in conversation. Uh, While Kate prepared the meal, the victim's chair would always be positioned at the trap door, And when a signal was given, the door would spring open with the victim dying right to his, yep, falling to his death. Um, so, the connection to the benders is, according to news report from Contemporary Media, an unnamed man from Kansas City who had investigated the notorious Benders family house and the rumors of their deaths numerous times claimed that the Kellys were, in fact, the Benders. Um, the, ma- the man further elaborated that all the stories of the la- latter's capture are made up, supposedly by a group of Confederates, who have also helped the Benders dispose of the murdered victims' horses and wagons. He pointed out that the both families— um, Modus operandi, family unit numbers, and other evidences prove that they are one of the same. So I don't know if they are one of the same. I have also heard Morbid go over the Bender mm-hmm. um, family and their crazy murders. But um, so those are my mini murders today. And I just want to tell you guys that when the when that people say the Wild West was wild, like these stories. Yeah, there was I mean I've
1: never heard of a family being serial killers.
0: No. Never. No. I mean that families do other things together, but I guess the family that kills together stays together. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't know. They say the family that prays together stays together, but for this family it was a family that, that kills. kills. <laughs> so interesting, oh, interesting. My. God, but what a wild ride. And uh, again, we don't, you know, we don't condone this crazy no. ass behavior, uh, but it is, I do like reporting on it and, and just reading about it. So it is insane; it is way insane. Thanks for hanging in there with us this, this episode guys. And we just want to put out there and then, okay. So um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, iHeart, Samsung, podcast. Inbox, Deezer, Listen Notes, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts,
1: RSS, and TuneIn. And where can they email us? At whathappensafterdarkll at gmail.com. We do have social media. Find us on Facebook as Luna Wad, W-H-A-D, Lee. Uh, Instagram is whathappensafterdarkll. And TikTok is Wad1210. Um, we also have a Patreon uh, site if you are willing to donate you can find us under what happens after dark yep help us out guys donate to our patreon so we can upgrade equipment
0: and be able to
1: keep entertaining
0: yep and start planning for future like live shows and stuff and and i'm going to talk to Ardeen, but on the side i thought maybe we could maybe do a live on instagram about Uh something and so that'll be down the road not too far i hope that's one of my dreams so but
1: Anything yeah. else, there, Woman? No, just thank you so much for being <laughs> with us. You guys have all a great night. Yes, and bye! bye. <laughs>